hail and well-met traveler. Welcome to Thread Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Andy Fling. I am one-third of the team at Tumbledye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to simulate the arc and tension of a three-act story within the framework of a tabletop RPG. You can find out more at www.tumbledye.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter at TumbleDye, or Instagram. Faithful listeners, this episode I will be having a conversation with the other other one-third of TumbleDye games, Kevin Berenger. After getting past some technological hurdles, we got to talking about art and the role it has played for us in our RPG lives. We also gushed about the very talented artist we have commissioned to illustrate the Trove System Core rulebook. Let's take a listen. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Andy. Well, that was fun. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, we just spent over an hour trying to get our technology to work for us. Because we're modern men. We are. We have a knowledge of technology. Or a lack thereof. But we're here now, recording on so many different interfaces and devices, it's ridiculous, just to make sure we get it right. So let's talk art, shall we? I like art. I like art too. Art and RPGs, it's something that you and I have talked about before, and I know that early on, possibly the, your first memory of RPGs has to do with... Larry Elmore's illustration of the warrior swinging his sword at the Red Dragon. And for me, it's the Monster Manual cover by Kevin Mayle with the uh, cross-section where you can see the monsters on the surface and then underneath what's crawling around below in the caves. And those were our first memories of RPGs have to do with art. And I bet you it's a, a very common thing for a lot of people when they think back to the beginnings of their role-playing game careers, art is a part of that every time. And also you and I grew up in artistic households. Our fathers were both artists. So art had a place in our lives that was very influential. And so it's no surprise that we're having this discussion now because it's a big deal in both of our lives. So I wanted to ask you, how did the early RPG art influence you as a player and a dungeon master? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me back, you know, to elementary school and, you know, fantasy book covers and stuff like that. So I was already kind of immersed in the pictures and stories of this fantastical worlds, these places that I would go in my head. And then I learned about role-playing games. And, you know, a friend of mine introduced me to D&D &D and I think Middle Earth role-playing uh, and, you know, some of the, the really early ones in the, uh, the early 80s. And the art was always the draw, largely, for me, because some of these books were walls of text. They were really dense and tables and charts and interspersed with sometimes very simple line drawings, very basic, but amazing subject matter, you know, like 
gelatinous cubes and mimics. I don't know if we're allowed to say mimics. I think that might be copyrighted, <laughs> but chests with teeth, you know, and monstrous traps. And I'll let you know if we get a cease and desist order. Yep. Yep. Please get back to me on that. Right. And, uh, you know, we can bleep it out. And then the, you know, the more epic things uh, on covers of books, like landscapes, like it, it's, it's very interesting. I, I was, I've read about some artists who, who just did, they did landscape art. And that became such an important part of some of these sweeping epic pieces. And, you know, you, you see mountains in the background and you see weather patterns and, and you see castles off in the distance. And it just, you know, opens up your imagination even further to the depth of the worlds that you're creating. And so, of course, when you're building stories for role-playing games, it's encouraging you to stretch, you know, and think even more and dig up stuff that you, you, you know, you wouldn't have come up with that are inspirational. Hmm. And of course, you know, how many, how many, how many 10 year old kids are going to think of describing the sound of clinking chain mail <laughs> when they're role playing until they look at an image of a warrior draped in chain mail. It sort of taps in, you know, to these additional senses. And it's been really interesting thinking back as the RPG art has kind of evolved because early role-playing games, a lot of it was a labor of love. TSR was a business, but they had limited resources, and so they could only spend so much on art. And so those early line drawings, it left a lot to the imagination. It, it was a spark that allowed you to fill in the spaces. And then as the genre of gaming became more and more popular, they were able to spend more on artists and the art itself began to evolve and it became more vivid and more colorful. It, it went from being a suggestion to more of an instant, oh, that's exactly what's in my mind or, oh, I never thought of that. That's the detail that I'm going to describe to my players. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. I mean, the more detailed a piece is, you know, big color sweeping and very specific faces of characters. It's, it's you know, like if you read a book and then they make a movie out of it. Right. And the actors that they cast don't necessarily resemble what you had in your head. But, you know, it's it it's informed, you know, yeah. you you blend, you end up blending your memory with with perhaps the actor's face and the face you remembered. And of course, you know, movies also come from somebody else's mind right so so it can expand your own ideas but with role-playing games one of the interesting phenomenon that i i remember as a young kid the simple line drawings the simple art in modules and in in books i loved it because it felt accessible it was a you know kind of a rough template a rough pattern but it wasn't incredibly polished and, and for, I had friends who could draw better than that. You know, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not myself, but, but, you know, I had some, some talented friends who were, who could draw and, and, you know, they could do better than some of the, these, these illustrations, but that was a good thing because it made it accessible and it, it encouraged me to start drawing my own characters. Mm. I wanted to portray them. It sort of gave me license to do that because it said, you don't need, you know, heavy duty oil paintings with full color and all that to get into this, mm. to start envisioning the story and the characters that you're telling. And then, of course, 
you do you do start getting these really amazing artists you know like larry elmore and and uh keith parkinson clyde caldwell and you know all these people and you know and that's of course back in the 80s there's a whole new generation of artists now and they envision things that i never imagined on my own especially because you know i'm a middle school kid and these are adults (laughs) so they they're more worldly and they're sharing their their wisdom with me through their art and it helped my storytelling it helped my imagination you know and gave me ideas for characters and things that yeah i never would have had otherwise yeah so yeah art art is absolutely uh, an essential part of the whole game there's definitely something to be said for the simple line art in the early um, the, the the early years of the game and something to be said for the super talented art that's that's often used now Threat Dice will return after this. Are you looking for a D&D podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. So I have a question for you, actually. Yeah. And uh, do you recall any instances throughout your life at, at all where a piece of art specifically inspired uh, a choice, you know, in, in a game, either as a game master, so it, it gave you, you know, fodder for your story and what to offer the players, or as a player, you know, inspiring a character vision for you? Can you think of anything? Does anything sort of jump out at you in, in your memory? That is an excellent question. I I can go first if you want, because <laughs> I just thought of something. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's a long, long, long time ago. We're going back like thirty years, but Dragon Magazine was such a heavy influence for me uh, in middle school and and high school, and getting that heavy duty magazine every month, chock full of really cool. I mean, a lot of them were advertisements, but the art was really interesting and intricate and a lot of the time the art accompanied a piece of fiction uh as well as you know sub game supplements and things like that but the covers were again some of these these really heavy hitting artists larry elmore did a lot of covers uh, i know keith parkinson so Clyde Caldwell again and there are a couple that stand out in in my memory and one of them is really poignant it's a woman, I think a barbarian, a healer or cleric, kneeling in the snow. She's on her knees, and they're on a hillside. And I, I think this was an Elmore piece. And they're on this snow-covered hillside. Again, it's a landscape. So there's they're in the mountains, surrounded by snowy mountains mm-hmm. and pine trees. And off in the distance, you see a, a giant walking away, oh, like lumbering away. I know exactly what you're and, talking about, yeah. Yeah, and there's a wounded warrior at her knee, you know, at her knees that she's she's trying to heal. And that gave me 
it gave me a bunch of ideas. Uh, it gave me ideas for a player story, you know, sort of a, a player concept, a character concept, and also as a as a game master. Um, and I, I think it also led into early, early Forgotten Realms. I think it was around the same time period that the Forgotten Realms box set first came out. And, you know, that cover of, I think it was a warrior from the Moonshade Isles or something like that. And it was really visceral. Mm. And so I remember opening it up and linking those two in my mind just because of the art. And there were mountains and landscapes and stuff in the Forgotten Realms. And I just linked the two so that all of a sudden there are people there and stories there and and these experience these personal emotional experiences mm-hmm. and maybe what the reason i'm remembering this is because it was one of the early times when tragedy entered into my scope as a player yeah and the idea of uh, yeah sadness and tragedy you know when you're in middle school <laughs> you just want you're you're playing action yeah you're playing combat fighting perhaps winning the heart of a lady <laughs> in a in a very superficial childish way but this yeah this was one of the first times that i was like there's more going on here in these stories yeah for me it's actually a more recent experience um during one of our playtests of trove when we were first creating our characters so mine was ikby farseer i was googling for images for uh, inspiration i found one that not only inspired me to make him a a younger character, which eventually led to him being the youngest member of this esteemed group, this kind of Congress of men and women who who were overseers of the society. But also in the illustration, he was wearing a box around his neck, a, a, a tiny little box. And there's no telling what that could be. It could be any number of things. And so that was what inspired me to create what used to be called gear, which is now called assets in our game. And I decided that what that box was an orchestrina. So it's, you know, you open it up, you crank it and it, it plays a little tune. And that was a part of his ability, his training as a monk character where he had physical training in, in his youth. And the orchestrina was something that um, focused him in the moment and honed his ability. And it also led through the story with Kylan as the narrator. It became the solution to a puzzle that Kylan created. It was, it all came from that illustration. It was the, so the illustration provided you with a character seed, a seed for your character's persona you know they're they're really a key part of his identity yeah which later on became a key plot point in the story exactly yeah you know our narrator our brilliant narrator saw an opportunity <laughs> and and wove that into the plot and we're very lucky we live in a day thanks to the internet and generosity of many people who who are prolific artists and create lots of work if you're simply using a piece of art for fun for a game sitting around the table with your friends you're not making money off of it then there are a lot of artists who are perfectly comfortable having you use their art for that kind of inspiration and a lot of them are really happy for that to be happening Mm -hmm. you know they in fact it's a large part of why they do what they do granted it would be really nice if they could get money get paid for their work as well but but you know, you know, sites like DeviantArt, people 
you know, gladly put their stuff up to share. And hopefully it leads to paid gigs for them. They're able to make money from their art, which is, you know, if that doesn't happen, then we're never going to not have art. We're never going to not have people who feel that burning passion to make art, to embody the visions that they have in their head. But it's a very interesting ecosystem. Definitely. You know, it's a very tricky eco ecosystem. It's easy to abuse because people put art up all the time and, you know, sometimes they should get paid for it. But there's so much available to us as players of games to go out and tap into and just get inspiration to make our stories better. Well, speaking of artists who should definitely get paid and who are extremely talented, the one we have commissioned several works from in anticipation of actually publishing this friggin' game that we're designing. <laughs> it's been like, what, eight, 12 years we've been working on it now? <laughs> it, it feels it like. It feels at least 12, yes. <laughs> and 2020 counts for about six of those years. Yep, that's about right. That's how yep. it feels. But um, it's the longest year on record. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so uh, a while back, when we decided to really take this thing seriously, and we decided we are absolutely going to make a game and publish it, we needed art. You know, that was never a question. We couldn't publish this book without art. It was absolutely essential. And the the name that rose to the top of the list was Ryan Salvato. We contacted him, and he was very enthusiastic about being part of the project. And Kevin, you're the tumble-dye point of contact with him. Um, so what has the, the process been like communicating the sparks of inspiration, or the, the ideas we have um, that we've asked him to illustrate and, and put on a page? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, because it was a tough nut to crack at first. It was kind of like, okay, we know we need a whole lot of art for this book and we want it to be full of art and exciting things and imagery, but you, you know, it's not really fair to simply call up an artist and say, Hey, we need a lot of art. Although that said with Ryan, you almost could do that. Yeah. Yeah. He has this robust imagination and, and you know, he himself has been a gamer and a very talented comic book artist and he makes art prolifically. Uh, so um, and we got very, very, very lucky we did. because the pandemic hit, which is horrible. Well, fortunately, it was mutually beneficial. Uh, Ryan is is an actor. He's a professional actor in, in New York. And when the pandemic hit, Broadway, all, you know, all the theaters closed down. Work sort of went on hiatus and, and dried up for a lot of actors. And And so Ryan, at the same time as we were looking he was available. You know, he, he expressed an interest in, in doing some more art. So we sort of hammered out how, you know, a broad stroke of, of, you know, how many pieces we might end up looking for and sort of style. But I really wanted to give him as much latitude as possible to, to let him, you know, feel like he could grow with the experience and, and explore new techniques or ideas or anything that he felt interested in doing. So what we did is with early iterations of the rules, we would think of examples that demonstrated some of the mechanics because, you know, the, the whole point of these game mechanics is to be descriptive, is to offer an opportunity in Trove to tell the story and forward the story. So we thought of situations where 
you know, this, this happened. And then we, we sort of narrated them out and, you know, said, okay, you know, we've got a, a group of players and they're trying to cross a bridge and the bridge is crumbling beneath them or something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, we go into some detail and say, okay, we, we want an anamorphic cat person to show something about, you know, supernatural senses. And, and uh, we, we definitely went down the aliens and robots and, and fantastical creatures route mm-hmm. as, as characters. We, we're striving for diversity. We want to represent humans as diversely as possible you know ideally no matter what you look like or what you imagine yourself as as a person my hope is that you'll see yourself in these pages in some way you see yourself represented uh that's important to me and i think it's it's important to all of us we've had a lot of conversations about it and ryan is right on board with that what we'll do is write up a document and, you know, I'll type out a description of a scene and some of the characters in it. And every now and then I'll go out and find other images of a person or, or something to convey a little bit of what I have in mind, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of an idea. Actually, Richie Havens is a fantastic folk musician who has a long history and just such a great face. He's got this smiling brimming wise face (laughs) and uh so i I sent a picture of him to ryan and and he created this amazing wizard character you know who's who's pouring through tomes and ecstatic about it and and, you know it's just a really it felt really good to do that you know so so there's a lot of little backstory in some of this artwork that ryan's making for us uh and he's diligent he'll he'll always he'll start off with rough sketches and ideas and send them to me just shoot them to me on his phone um, on our phones and we'll go back and forth a little bit if what he shows me seems to fit what i had in mind then i'll just say go for it and sometimes every now very rarely but every now and then i'll ask for a slight tweak or can we change the perspective or something like that and he turns on a dime and spits out exactly what I asked for. Yeah, his the combination of his ability to give exactly what you or all of us have asked of him, as well as his ability to take the idea that we give him and give us something we we never would have expected that is a hundred times better than what was in our mind. He's a great talent. I'm so happy that we've we have him on board. And he's going to be so embarrassed by this. I think he's a humble guy. Uh, so we're we're just blowing smoke right up his ass right now. It's really- <laughs> well, it's something I I remember through the whole process. And this is if we have any listeners who are planning or in the process of making their own game, Godspeed to you. Hmm. Something that we discovered is a great way to communicate ideas with your artist is um, take it from your playtesting. If you're having trouble coming up with ideas for pieces of art that you want to be in your book, an excellent source is your playtesting. And that's that's something that we did is we simply described scenes in our latest playtest session. That was a great source of ideas to illustrate what we want to get across, how we want to illustrate the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're absolutely right. Like it was a great resource because, you know, we sort of started off just trying to come up with all these things on our own, but then we realized that the playtesters are giving us exactly what we need. They're coming up with characters and really interesting scenarios and, and specific scenes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then Ryan as Ryan has illustrated a couple of those. It's also really fun to show playtesters the art that comes out of what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And it also came from some of our internal tests where it's just the three of us. 
yeah, I was I was giddy to see either the character I was playing or the scene I created as a narrator get illustrated on the page and and to to see it right there in front of me. That's mm-hmm. it's it's a great feeling. Yep. Yeah, it's right up there and in my mind it's right up there with some of the amazing fantasy art from our childhood, you know, and and that's the the high level professional art that's being generated because there was there was a scene, you know, again in in the empty in our playtest where there was a giant floating sphere of water yeah above above a garden and you know huge like a mile in diameter or something like that and we needed to get into it and uh you know so we used our powers and sort of created like a portal like a tunnel a swirling vortex tunnel in into the water sphere and we described this to ryan and it's like a lot of people would just scratch their head and say what but he came back with an incredible illustration um, mm-hmm. you know, with all of our characters and, uh, you know, in fact, and, and he added some stuff. I think Sir Cuthbert ended up with a mount of uh, like a shaggy bison mount or something that, that <laughs> we never even thought of. And, and I know that there's, there's sort of a cottage industry out there. Uh, a lot of folks who role play will commission artists to do their their characters and stuff like that and if anybody's listening i would encourage gms and and players to try to convey specific scenes don't just ask for a generic you know draw my character put your character in context in a scene uh, or maybe the whole party into a scene of something that actually happened and also, I'd, I'd encourage all those people to contact Ryan Salvato and give him money because <laughs> yes, yes, he needs as, it, and he it, his work is worth it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, he's a pleasure to work with. Uh, so, so Ryan, there you go. There's your plug, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well deserved. Absolutely. All right, Kevin. Good discussion. Yes, indeed. Thanks for spending an hour fiddling with your computer and listening to me fiddle with my computer. <laughs> we finally made it and we have our episode thanks again to Kevin and thank you for joining me today if you've enjoyed Threat Dice please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform Podchaser or tweet us at TumbleDie I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session we'd love to hear from you until next time may the road ever rise to meet you Threat Dice is a production of Tumble Die Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond. The interludes are Clockwork. And the outro music is Storm, all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash Vince Vept. That's V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music by Audrey Sitkov and Andy Ray. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Andy Fling. Little by little, one travels far. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>